how he jumped the gun, Israel jumped the gun. And so this was not God's king, this was man's king. And so I want to recap just briefly some of the things we talked about last week. Uh, You may remember um, that Saul wasn't seeing correctly. He wasn't seeing right. He had a vision issue. Not like some medical vision issue, um, but his outlook on life, his outlook on leadership. Uh, his outlook on leadership and his outlook on God. He was just seeing things wrong and it caused him to begin to spiral. Last week we looked at the beginning of that spiral, that, that, that little snowball beginning to go downhill that would amass itself into an avalanche. Saul, who started off okay, who started off good in many ways, as we're going to see the prophet Samuel even reminds him of how he started. But how quickly he fell from grace. And it started with the little things. Um, And that's a reminder to you and I, those little things that can chip away at our character, those little things that can chip away at who we are can start us on a downhill slope. And we we don't want to do that. Um, And we titled uh, these like three weeks, the good, which was week one, the bad, which was last week. And now we're going to talk about the ugly. How many of you guys love coming to church to hear about just the ugly mess Okay, okay. Well, um, these things were written down for our admonition. Uh, A wise man learns from his own mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. So let's learn from Saul. Let's toss the bad and keep the good. And where we saw bad, let's try not to do those things in our own life. Amen? Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to read a couple verses from 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, really just to set the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning uh, in, in, in this message where we're looking at the ugly associated with King Saul, man's king. This is coming from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, then Samuel said to Saul, stop, exclamation point. How many of you guys, I'm, I'm going to pause on, 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 the, on the reading here. How many of you love it when someone just abru- abruptly says, stop? Yeah. I don't like that. It normally startles me. Uh, I get very nervous. Uh, I start getting very introspective. What did I do? Uh, Saul should have been here. Uh, He's not, as we're going to see. But the prophet of the Lord Samuel says, stop. I will tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes... Are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel. We're going to fill in the gaps of what happens between these next couple verses in the next few minutes. But let's just let it be known that Saul has just done a very bad thing. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. And Samuel says, hey, while you were doing this bad thing, the creator of the universe spoke to me. And this is what he said, I made you the king of Israel. You were humble in your own eyes, but I have set you up as king. This is what it goes on to say 10 verses later. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh. And Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned away to go, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore don't have the next verse here, um, but it goes on to say in verse 28, that just like his robe that was tore, 
So the kingdom of Israel and the leadership of it was tore out of Saul's hands. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, your word cuts through the bone and the marrow into the soul and to in the, uh, the, the spirit and reveals to us the motives and the intents of our hearts. Lord, we pray that this morning as we look at the ugly side of Saul, as we look at really the, the bummer part of the story, God, I pray that you would reveal to us areas in our own lives uh, where we might have bummer parts of our story. Uh, but God, that we would be inspired by your spirit, we would be encouraged by your word uh, to not do what Saul did and harden his heart and turn away, but Lord, that we would lean in. God, that we would press into your presence, that we would confess those areas, God, where we fall short and that we would allow you by your spirit to transform us from the inside out. God, we want to be renewed daily. God, we want to be like David who, who cried out in desperation, create in me a clean heart, oh God. David says, may your spirit not depart from me. God, as we look at the life of Saul and how your spirit had departed from him, and a different spirit took up residence. God, may we be like David who sought your spirit, who sought your heart, who sought to be renewed. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, that this morning these would not be my words, but God, you would speak through. God, may your perfect word penetrate our hearts and our minds, bring transformation and hope to our future. And Lord, we just pray these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to look at the ugly today, uh, and we're going to highlight three stories towards the tail end of King Saul's life. Um, three big stories, probably stories that you're familiar with. But as we highlight these stories, I want us to, um, as Paul would write to the church in Galatia, I, I would like us to examine ourselves. Take a look in the mirror. We did this last week, and we're going to do this again. And news, or, or, or spoiler alert, we're going to do this with King David and with a bunch of the other kings as well. Because it's important for us to not only hear the narrative and the truth of the historical account of these stories, but to also see how they apply to us. Um, sometimes we can just read and separate Scripture as some far-off thing. It doesn't really understand the 21st century and us here and now. But guess what? It was written down for us, preserved through time, so that it could speak to us and transform us here and now. Amen? Amen. So I want us to look, because I know as I was studying this week, I, well, it, I, it, it was heavy. Because some of the things and some of the positions that King Saul puts himself in, if I'm honest, I put myself in as well. And some of the shortcomings of Saul, I can see the little seeds of those in my own life begin to take root if I'm not careful. And praise the Lord if I'm the only one, just me and Saul. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking for us. And we can run into these things because all things are common to mankind. As we're going to see when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 later today. But I don't want to jump the gun. We learned about not doing that last week. Okay, three stories. First one, Agag and the Amalekites. If you've heard the story, you know what's coming. It's gruesome. Second story we're going to talk about today, 
uh, Saul and his hunting David, not just for a couple days, not just for a couple weeks, not just for a couple months. King Saul hunted David for years. General consensus is roughly four years, but the Bible doesn't give us hard and fast dates. It could have been even more than that. Saul continuing in his wickedness. And the third story that we're going to talk about is a very, very weird story. Uh, the Witch of Endor. Uh, if you're familiar with that story, get ready. We're going to break it down a little bit more this morning. But let's dive into that first story, Agag and the Amalekites. You might be familiar uh, with the term Amalekite. Um, they were a group of people that lived in Canaan before the Hebrews made their exodus. They were one of the Canaanite clans that was prevalent in what scholars call the Levant, which is modern-day Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, down into the Sinai Peninsula. Um, these scoundrels will be nice. Uh, these scoundrels, uh, they hated God. They hated all things Yahweh. They hated his people. Um, and they had a deep-seated reason why they did that we'll talk about in just a few moments. But during the time of the Exodus, you might remember the story as Moses and the children of Israel, they're making their way through the plain. The children, the, the elderly, and those who were infirmed, just as a caravan would be making their way, they trickled to the back, Right? The Amalekites, they're opportunists, they're scoundrels. Uh, so rather than attacking the strong, those who are up at the front, really going mano a mano, strength against strength, they said, no, no, we're just going to take it all over. We're going we're gonna to attack the weak in the back. So the Amalekites come swooping in and they attack the rear bit of Israel. And they're laying waste. And it, it, it's, one, it's not the proper way to do warfare, even in the ancient world. It was a dastardly thing to do. Uh, but they did it. And you might remember the story in Moses, and, and there's victory, and they overcome the Amalekites. But God makes a promise that he will not forget this wicked act of the Amalekites, and he will bring ultimate judgment and justice to the Amalekites. So fast forward a couple years. Joshua, he's going into Canaan. One of the reasons he's going into Canaan is there are giant clans. You might be thinking to yourself, what's a giant clan? Well, there's certain groups of Canaanite peoples that had some form of giantism to them. Uh, the Philistines are one of these such groups that were there. You might remember Goliath, who uh, was like a nine-foot-tall guy. I mean, every single NBA team would be at the drop of a hat drafting that guy. Um, but he was tall, but he wasn't alone. We read in Second Samuel the account of multiple giant warriors. Um, and there was a time before Joshua where the amount of giants was extremely prevalent. One of these clans of giants, many theologians and scholars believe that the Amalekites and their king Agag were a part of these giant clans that were being eradicated by the Israelite armies. Well, God remembered his word as he is someone who remembers what he says, he does what he says, he means what he says. And he calls Saul to go on a mission. Saul at this point has become this mighty leader in Israel. Uh, Saul has led conquest and campaign against the Philistines, has really united the tribes of Israel and established them as a powerhouse there in Canaan. And God says, it is time. 
let's go do this. And uh, he commissions Saul to go defeat the Amalekites. But not just like beat them in war like other wars that have happened. God uses specific terms. He tells Saul he wants him to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Slaughter everything. Not just the humans, but their livestock as well. Like pretty heavy stuff. And Saul says, all right, I'm going to accept the mission. I'm going to do it. So if you were to read the totality of 1 Samuel chapter 15, you get the story. Saul goes. He has great victory. Everything's seeming right. But Saul fails. You see, Saul doesn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. He had the opportunity to, but then he looked and he saw that they had really good cows. They had really good sheep. You can make pretty good steak out of them. He said, I don't want to kill them. That's a waste. So he brings them back. Saul also doesn't utterly destroy the warriors. Some are left to scatter. One specifically, the king, Agag, which like Saul is explicitly told to wipe him out. But Saul brings him back as some sort of political prisoner. And um, Saul begins to have a good time. He and the soldiers, they're having a good time. And who comes strolling in but the prophet Samuel. And Saul sees Samuel off from afar. And Saul, pretending to do the right thing, is like, Samuel, oh man, it's so good. It's great to see you. We had a great victory today. I mean, we got a barbecue going. It's fresh Amalekite beef. It's amazing. Samuel says, stop. Stop. What have you done? The Lord gave you a mission. He called you to do something specifically, and you have decided to play God. And because of this, your kingdom is stripped from you. Saul starts cowering, and he's like, I mean, Samuel, it's okay. Let me go back with you. We can worship together. I'm sure God can make this right. I'm, I'm messed up with, I, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to do all this so that you could worship the Lord, your God. Remember, he's shucking responsibility. Samuel says, no, you can't come back with me. Saul further confesses, passes the blame even more. Well, I was afraid of my soldiers. I didn't think they'd let me kill everyone, so I gave in, and we brought this back so that we could worship the Lord, your God. And Saul has some harsh words he receives from Samuel as Samuel strips the kingdom from him. You see, with Agag and the Amalekites and Saul's failure, it was a time when the king defied God, said his ways were better than God's ways. And it got me thinking about my own life and us as followers of Christ. Are there areas in our life where we defy God? Where there's a very clear plan laid out for us in scripture, but we think our ideas might be a little bit better. We think our way, our timeline, our plan is better than God's plan. Are there times in our life where we decide we're gonna play God? I want us to think about that. So keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, let's jump to the next story. He's hunting David for years. You know, David, Saul 
starts going through all sorts of mental and emotional um, depression as a result of kingdom being stripped and all that kind of thing. We're told elsewhere, and I'm not going to dive into much detail on it um, because I just don't think there's enough time for us to, to cover this today. Um, but there's an interesting verse where it says, Saul receives a distressing spirit from the Lord. That's how the, how the New King James renders it. Uh, the NIV and, and, and some more modern translations will say an evil spirit. Um, and, and it's like, how does that work? How does God give an evil spirit? Um, and, and we don't have time to discuss that this morning. Let it be known that the spirit of God left Saul. So now there's a void that potentially an evil spirit can occupy. And it's not God putting the evil spirit there. It's just God removing himself so that an evil spirit can come in. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But Saul's going through a hard time. Whether it is truly psychosomatic and, or, or, or something that is a mental issue that he's dealing with, or if there's true demonic evil spirit activity, Saul's having a hard time. And Saul knows a little music hears the soul, right? So he hires Stevie Wonder um, to come play just some great music. No, he hires David to come play some music for him. And it soothes his soul. So David is this nice little guy in Saul's service. We find later that David has a bunch of brothers. Just so happens David's been anointed the king of Israel. Saul doesn't know this. Um, but his brothers are off at war. David's a little shepherd boy doing his thing. He's an adult, but we call him a little shepherd boy because it sounds good in kids' church. Um, and it's time for him to go bring some cheese and bread to his brothers on the front. He goes. He sees this nine-foot-tall giant talking bad about Israel, talking bad about Yahweh. He's like, no, this ain't going to stand. So he goes, says, Saul, I'll be the champion that goes, fights the guy. Saul's like, put on my armor. It'll fit you really well. Didn't fit him at all. Anyone remember the Veggie Tales version of that? I mean, I love it, right? Okay, uh, so what does David do? He then goes down to the brook. He picks up a bunch of stones. Um, I don't know if David thought he was going to miss or if he just knew that Goliath had some brothers, but he grabbed a bunch of stones. And he goes and he meets Goliath on the battlefield. And you know the story. Does his slingshot, zing. Hits Goliath in the head, drops him down. David goes and picks up Goliath's sword, which is like massive and chops Goliath's head off, holds it up, and it's like the God of Israel reigns. Philistines are terrified because their superhero just got slain. And um, David becomes popular. David receives praise as a result of it. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And um, Saul and his heart is being stirred. He, he could have celebrated with the people of Israel and been like, yeah, God's using this little guy to help me out. But instead, he took it personally and he began spiraling faster and faster. Saul begins to hate David. How many of you know when you have hatred in your heart, it festers, it boils up, and it turns to something more? Well, as a result, Saul has murder on his mind, and at many occasions, he seeks to end David's life. So much so that he's throwing javelins at him while David is shredding on his lute. Probably has his eyes closed, as any good musician does when they're shredding. Saul takes a javelin and throws it at him, and David dodges and then runs. Saul is trying to kill David, and 
He's hunting him for years with murder on the mind. I don't have time to talk about all the campaigns of Saul playing cat and mouse through the nation of Israel into the land of the Philistines, out and around, chasing after David. The times where David has an opportunity to kill Saul, but doesn't. It's a crazy story. But it was a time when the king sought evil. The king was supposed to seek justice good of the people, but he saw evil, and I want to ask the question, where do we, where do I actively seek evil? Now, that's a tough question, right? Because I think if we all want to be, like, good and kosher, we're like, we don't actively seek evil. Yeah, I do bad, I mess up, but I don't actively seek evil. Um, I think there's areas where we probably do. There's sin, and then there's like transgressions, there's willful sin, there's like passive sin. It's all sin in God's eyes, but Paul in the New Testament is very pointed when he talks about those who practice sin. Right, the Super Bowls today, right? Anyone else a practitioner of the cult of the pigskin, right? Um, Now football players, they practice Basketball players, like Allen Iverson, he's like, practice, what's that? I don't know. Okay, that, that was a joke from a couple years back. Okay. Um, you practice to make things perfect, right? Paul talks about practicing sin. To me, you don't just practice accidentally. You have intentionality to get better. I think there are areas in our lives where we practice sin our sin of preference, our sin of choice. Oftentimes in church when we hear these things, our minds instantly jump to like gross sins. But it can be things that to us are minimal sins, but we practice them. We don't have a desire to change them. They've become part of our muscle memory and we enjoy them. I would argue, and I think scripture paints a good case, that that is actively seeking evil. Not only are we playing God, saying my way is better, now we are seeking to do our way as opposed to God's way knowingly. And as we're going to see with Saul, this is one of those big downfall moments. Okay, the last story that I want to talk about, and then we'll tie it all together, is the witch at Endor. Uh, This is a weird story. How many of you, by show of hands, are familiar with this story? Okay, um, so not all of us. So we're going to read it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 28. It's a crazy story. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Now Samuel had died, and all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Anyone who likes like science fiction, fantasy, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, it doesn't get more hardcore than this, right? There are mediums and necromancers in the land. What? Okay. Well, Saul's like, we don't like them. Get them out of here. They're wicked. And the Philistines had assembled and came and encamped around Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And Saul saw the army of the Philistines, and he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of Yahweh, Yahweh did not answer him, either by dreams 
or by the Urim, or by the prophets. So Saul is asking, and heaven is silent. Remember, Saul has been rejected. So then Saul said to his servants, seek me out a woman who is a medium, a witch, someone who communes and congregates with the dead, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments, and he went, he and two of his men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. He's made what you are about to do illegal. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, by Yahweh, as Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, pause. We remember the law. We just went through Deuteronomy a couple years ago, or a couple months ago. Um, witcher, like witchcraft, sorcery, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, Yahweh says it's penetrable by death. And now Saul's saying, yeah, as long as God lives, you're fine. Okay, this is terrible. Okay. The woman said, well, who should I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. This is where it gets crazy, okay? When the woman saw Samuel, so it worked. We'll talk about that in just a second. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. I see an Elohim coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, he's an old man coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. Saul knew that it was Samuel. He bowed his face to the ground and he paid homage. And then Samuel said to Saul, notice how it doesn't say, and then this Elohim, the spirit said to Saul. No, it's, it, this is the ghost of Samuel. Crazy. Says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by the prophets or by my dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For Yahweh has torn the kingdom out of your hand and giving it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done with you to this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Where is Samuel coming from? The grave. And he's prophesying, you're going to die tomorrow. Yahweh will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength left in him. 
for he had not eaten anything all day, all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. And now I have taken my life into your hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread. Let me give you a snack so that you can eat and have strength and so you can get out of here. Saul refused, said, I will not eat. Then his servants came. They urged him to eat. And the rest of the story here, these last few verses, Saul eats and he leaves. It's a weird story, right? Okay, what's going on here? There's different views. Some would hold that what the witch of Endor is doing, she, because in some views of theology, you can't do necromancy, you can't, like this kind of stuff just does not happen in the spiritual world. So this must have been a demon that came up and spoke to Saul. Um, I, I reject that view. The Bible tells us it was Samuel. Um, also, I don't know any demons that are prophesying the future. It's just not how it goes. They don't know it. Um, so if that's the case, and this woman really calls up the spirit of Samuel and God in his infinite wisdom allows Samuel to prophesy from beyond the grave. It's like the sealing of the deal. Saul, you're done. You have fallen so far from grace. You are now seeking witchcraft and wizardry to access something you cannot have. I believe that even though it was Samuel who came up, something demonic was going on. Sorcery, necromancy, this is of the spiritual forces of evil. And Saul thinks it's a good idea to tap into that. Witch of Endor, something just isn't right. It's a time when the king does the demonic as you're going to see here in just the next slide, as we have with the other previous two points, I want to ask the question, what doors may be open to invite unwanted activity in our own life? Sin is when we miss the mark, when we fail to do things God's way. We are called to repent of our sin, to lay it at the foot of the cross, and to follow after Jesus. When we practice sin and we're okay with like giving Christ 95% but we'll keep our little sin and we continue in that. I believe wholeheartedly both from personal experience and testimony of others I know. And also from the testimony of scripture that we can leave ourselves susceptible to otherworldly attack. Now, I'm not going to get into discussions this morning about can Christians be possessed by demons. I, I don't think so. But I can tell you this very strongly, Christians can be oppressed by the demonic. Sometimes it's not as a result of sin. Sometimes it's just a result of you and I following the commission and the, the plan of the gospel to go and to preach the gospel. And as a result, we face spiritual forces of wickedness bringing up strongholds against us that we have to fight and push through. Other times, though, we invite them in. We invite the oppression. 
It's not there to stop us from doing the mission we're called to. We invite it in, and it keeps us energized to do evil. Now, Lord willing, none of us are there. But this is a reality that we can find ourselves slipping into if we are not careful. And it's the very thing that seals the deal for Saul. His heart becomes hardened, his heart becomes callous, and he leaves the God he once loved. The bookmark or the tail end of the story, the, the, the bookend for Saul's story, he goes to war the next day. He fights the Philistines. Guess how he dies? It's not a Philistine that kills him. It's an Amalekite. One of the descendants of the people he was sent to kill. You see, the Amalekites are a symbol or a type in scripture of sin. And we are called to go utterly destroy sin in our own life. And the areas that we leave can be the very areas that kill us. Not talking physically, maybe it is physically. Man, if you're practicing sin that harms your body, it, there's a strong chance it's going to kill you. Don't let it. But I'm speaking more spiritually. We can become spiritually dead the more we press into sin rather than pressing into the spirit. I think that's important. What's crazy about all of this is in each moment, Saul had a sober moment, but he did not lean into it. Agag. In Amalek. In the moment when Samuel calls him out, Saul repents. But then when Saul doesn't get his way, he runs the opposite direction. Can I make the argument that when we fall short, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Lean into that forgiveness. Don't let your heart become hardened and calloused. With David... He had multiple times to stop. At least two times, David had a chance to kill him and spares him. And Saul temporarily stops his hunting of David because he has remorse and repentance. But he doesn't lean into it. He runs the opposite direction. I don't know if there was any good to be had with the witch of Endor. Maybe he shouldn't have eaten and just stayed there. Maybe he wouldn't have died in battle the next day. Who knows? Um, but the Lord said it, so he was going to. There's nothing good about the witch of Endor. I want us to think about the parallels with our own lives. Do we lean in when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do we press in and do we say, yeah, I've messed up. I hear the voice of God. I know this is wrong. Create in me a clean heart, heart, O God. Do we look for the God-given escapes? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So we all face stuff, right? And we all have the opportunity to spiral out of control like Saul. But God... The same God who was there in the time of Samuel and Saul and David, the same God who is here and now, he is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your own ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide you a way 
of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hard times come. Opportunities, choices, circumstances, situations, they present themselves. But there is always a way to do what is right. There is always a way to escape the temptation of sin. There is always a place and a time to repent. So let's take a look as we close. I'll invite Mariah. She'll come back up. We're going to close in one more worship song. But at the deeper, the closer, and the further moments, as our theme is for this year, going deeper, drawing closer, and reaching further. As we think about what it means to go deeper, the Lord really put it on my heart this week. What does it mean to learn the voice of God? I think going deeper is spending a little bit of time, maybe a lot of bit of time, to know the depths of God. What do I write here? Time spent getting to know the depths of God helps us follow his will. The more time we spend in his presence, the deeper we push into the presence of God through prayer. It reveals to us his heart. It reveals to us his will. And so like Saul, he knew what God said, but he thought his way was better. That tells me Saul wasn't spending a lot of time with God because the heart and the will of God was not the heart and the will of Saul. But the heart and the will of God can be our heart and can be our desire and our will if we spend more time in his presence. What does it mean to draw closer? I think the Lord was putting it on my heart that we should seek to view every situation with God's eyes. Remember, we sing those songs. Uh, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet, right? We talk about those things. But I want your eyes, God. I want your eyes. Give me your eyes to see things. I believe that time spent in the word and in prayer will reveal us God's hearts. It's very similar to the going deeper moment. But the reality is the deeper we go with God, the closer we draw to him. If we abide in him, he abides in us. If we draw near to him, he draws near to us. How many of you, we'll do this by a show of hands because I think it's important for accountability, right? How many of you could afford to spend more time in God's word? How many of you could afford to spend more time in prayer? To get to know the heart of God. So we don't actively seek evil, but we actively seek to do things he's calling us towards. Then the last one, reaching further. I gave you homework last week. Remember? Seek this week to elevate someone else selflessly. How'd you do? First and foremost, because I'm giving you homework again this week. If you didn't do last week's assignment, now you got two assignments. There's no <coughs> like late turning in uh, demarcation of your, uh, of your, your scores there. Um, but this week, I want you to spend time, whether it's in your time of prayer, your time of Bible reading, whether it's as you're eating your hard-boiled egg and cottage cheese for breakfast. Anyone else? Okay. Now, um, write down some weak spots in your armor. Like, reflectively look at your life. Where are areas that you have weak spots? I think of a dam, just a tiny little hole, right? 
water, but water pressure, man, it's impressive. And it can blow the entire dam, which is a tiny little hole. Where are the areas that we can shore up? I think James, the brother of Jesus, when he writes his letter to the churches, he tells us well that we can bring these things to the Lord. We can confess them. And when we confess them to the Lord, he begins to close those doors that we're leaving open, shoring up our defenses against spiritual attack and giving us the opportunity to live a life of fullness for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that there are examples given to us in Scripture good examples and bad situations that create good examples. God, we know Saul was a train wreck. But we also know that these things were written down for our admonition. We can learn, we can grow, we can make the right choices where Saul made the wrong choices. We can see the path and where it leads we can choose to go somewhere else. God, help us as we go deeper into your presence. God, help us as we draw closer to your word, as we draw closer to you in prayer. Lord, that you by your spirit would reveal to us areas where we can shore up where we have lack. We can confess where we have sin. God, and we can live our lives pleasing to the Father. God, create in us a clean heart. God, we want to worship you. We want to live for you with all that we do. So Lord, we honor you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing this last song? There is a king Seated up.